broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rural Broadband Today. I'm your host, Stephen Smith, and I am so excited to have as our guest today, uh, Mike Romano. Mike is a Senior VP uh, Industry Affairs and Business Development for NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. And uh, Mike, it's great to have you on the show today. It's wonderful to join you. Thanks for having me. I really look forward to the conversation. Well, the uh, the impetus for uh, this topic today came from uh, uh, a recent uh, Twitter thread that you posted that I found uh, a little different way of looking at the issue of uh, uh, of the rural broadband divide that we often talk about. And uh, there, there's so much conversation about the fact that we just do not have enough Internet access out there. There's still millions without access. And in your thread, you you put a little different spin and cause us to step back and think about the term access a little bit differently when it comes to particularly to the homework gap. And so uh, that's what we're going to dive into today. And, but before we do tell us a little bit about the, uh, how, how the whole uh, learning from home and uh, kids being at home for school has impacted you personally. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing I was going to say. It's definitely the case that, um, Learning from home hits close to home. I've got three kids, uh, one in high school, one entering high school, and one in elementary school, and they face all sorts of different challenges. I mean, we've got great internet access at home, fortunately. We're blessed, um, just happen to live in an area that has that. But there have been, um, you know, we know there, I know there are challenges out there, and I know I see with my kids even uh, some of the challenges they face, the schools having to adapt, the schools have a lot of things to juggle. I mean, they have to juggle the safety of their teachers, their students. Um, they have to juggle different platforms that they really necessarily weren't, weren't built to handle quite yet, or had done some of, but not in the, certainly in the, the manner they had to this past spring. So it's been causing me to think a lot about what does this look like this fall? I mean, even if we get schools back open, there's the chance they could close again. Um, we have to make that sort of contingency plan. And so what are we doing now? How are we using this time now to make sure that the systems are ready, the connections are ready, the, the, um, everything's a go to make sure that we, we don't miss a beat uh, because we, we can't keep missing semester after semester of, of uh, learning opportunity. Right. That's going to be an issue that, uh, that we'll continue to pay for down the road if we don't address that for sure. Precisely. I mean, I, I think you know, th- this has long-term snowball ramifications in terms of ability for kids who are going to be moving to the next level, you know, from middle school into high school, high school into college and graduating college. I mean, you look at those folks who are moving through that pipeline now, those kids moving through that pipeline, are they going to be prepared to make the jump to the next level? Um, and how are those coming out of school going to be looked at by a workforce to determine whether they've got, got the skill sets they need based upon the educational experience they've had last, you know, certainly last spring and going through the, the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you talk about the um, access when we, when we talk about a lack of internet access of that really being uh, twofold. And if you could unpack that for us a little bit and that uh, in terms of the affordability and, and the literal uh, technological access. Yeah. I feel like this is one of the most important questions in broadband policy, but, for some reason, 
I think it's just sometimes it's folks are moving fast and doing things in shorthand. Sometimes it's probably a purposeful choice of an ambiguous word. But the word access is vexing. I mean, it can mean several different things. And that's where um, you call it a Twitter thread. I, I felt like a little bit of a tweet storm one night as I was sitting there jotting it down. But um, access can mean at least two things um, and perhaps more. But the two things I was thinking about in particular are it can mean you literally don't have a connection to the premises. There's no service being offered there today. If I wanted to go subscribe, there's no one from whom I could subscribe to get broadband. So that's one kind of access. That's the sort of physical connection. Now it could be wired or wireless, but you know, you just can't get it at home. That that's one kind of access. The other kind of access is more. So, so it's about availability. The other kind of access is more about adoption. It's, You've got a connection at home. It might be, you know, a connection that's not so great. You might have fiber to the prem. You might have a couple of fiber to the prem providers connecting you, but you're not subscribing. Um, and, and, you know, that could, there could be a number of reasons you're not adopting, but that's an adoption problem. It's often might be affordability, but at, at bottom, we've got really two kinds of access. I think we have to as you said, unpack and, and, and look at more closely, one being availability and one being adoption. And when we conflate the two, we're at risk of solving for the wrong issue or solving for neither because we, we don't really care for them the right way. Well, certainly looking at the uh, time frame, uh, going, going back to school this fall is coming up on us fast. And you laid out a few steps that you think would, would, would really allow the schools to take a leadership role in uh, figuring out what uh, what the needs are in their district, really to uh, you know a per student basis. So I thought we'd talk about those. The uh, the first step you laid out there was uh, just having the schools start by figuring out you know which of those students uh, have access at home, uh, however that's defined. Right. I mean, so the the first step really is figuring out what access means. You know, you, the school may look at it and say you know, maybe they do a poll of students, maybe they, they just know from what they're able to do during the, you know, from last spring. Um, certainly this is harder last spring when people were trying to do this on the fly over the course of a week or two when schools were closing, but look at it and say, which students do I know as a school are not accessing my online platforms right now? And you develop that address. The, the issue is there, you don't know what access is what the access problem is. Again, it could be that the students have great connections at home, they just can't afford it, or for other reasons haven't subscribed in the past, or it could be their house is stranded, it's abandoned, it's a broadband desert. And so, you know, but the, you know, the first step is just figuring out, getting from the school, who, ha- who does and doesn't have access, so you can then go to the next level and, and try to discern the next step, what access means, um, have the schools go in and, and see if they can work with local providers to figure out which problems presented. Um, and, and then, and then you lay out that, uh, there, which I think underlines the need for there to be a close working relationship, which we do see in a lot of, uh, uh, communities, particularly those served by the, uh, members of, of NTCA. Uh, those member companies do have a close working relationship with a lot of the anchor institutions and, uh, your next step, really builds on that is having those schools and those local broadband providers, you know, get to work on seeing where uh, those uh, access, the true availability, uh, where, where it's lacking in their service area. 
Right. I mean, I think what you can do is have the school take the address list of essentially here are the addresses where a student resides and they're not using our online platform, participating in remote learning. Go to the local provider and say, here's the address. Do you have service there um, or, or not? And the provider can look at it and say, you know, one, two, three Main Street. Yeah, I've got I've got fiber to the prem there. Four, five, six Maple Lane. Um, you know, I could do a, uh, you know, I can do uh, fixed wireless there with 25 megs. Um, you know, eight, nine, 10 Mill Street. I've got nothing in the vicinity, but you could start to differentiate where, what that access problem is. And, um, that is a, that is a conversation with a local provider. Now, you know, and, and I'm deeply proud of what NTCA members have done. We've seen uh, a great example up in North Dakota where the local providers, the statewide network, and um, the, the school districts up there worked together just as this played out. And they got to the point where I think 99.8% of the state of North Dakota, which is largely served by NTCA member companies and cooperatives, um, those students are now now served as a result of this sort of a process. You know, But I guess I'd say this too, because I know policymakers always say, well, we need something that works everywhere. This can work everywhere. Uh, you know, I live in Arlington, Virginia, um, and I always get the population numbers wrong, but it's, it, it's, you know, it's a big county population wise, it's small geographically, um, adjacent to Washington, DC, uh, you know, two big providers there, at least, um, a lot of competition, but the schools announced last week that they've worked with Comcast and its internet essentials program to essentially solve the adoption problem by helping to make sure that essentially Comcast Internet Essentials will be available. I believe it's for free to anybody who's not subscribing and needs service because Comcast has done this sort of process. So the point is, whether you're a big company in a large metropolitan area or you're a small hometown provider serving a very rural area, this is doable if we approach it in the right way. Um, you know, the problem is there are a lot of ideas floating around for attention. And sometimes, you know, if dollars are behind them, especially it leads to a uh, you know, sort of a rat race of people doing different things, some of which you know, don't perhaps work as well. Well, your next step lays out um, an idea that I want to explore a little bit about the uh, the funding and possibly putting a, a funding program together when, when you identify those who are not accessing the Internet because they cannot afford to, to do that. And then I know sort of uh, uh, connected to that is not only the affordability of the actual access itself, but then actually having a, a workable device in the home. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon to find a household if it can't afford broadband internet access to, you know, them not having a computer or tablet or, or, or a device to connect to the internet to begin with. And so those are, uh, those are complicated issues. And I'm wondering if you have some ideas on, uh, how how we how we bridge that gap, and if you have seen some uh, creative, uh, you know, in, innovative ways that some of the NTCA members are addressing those issues out in the field. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, the starting with the funding question, um, you know, people. The, the great thing about rural broadband these days is it's a hot topic. People want to solve it or, or just broadband uh, availability. Generally, they want to solve it. They, they realize it's such an important lifeblood um, in the American economy and in, in education, et cetera. And so that's been, um, you know, it's been great. 
But what we see is people throw out ideas for funding programs that may or may not actually solve the problem presented. And that's, that's a challenge um, to, to then focus ourselves in the right way. So, for example, in this case, you know, again, you go to a house, the, house, the, the, the consumer isn't subscribing, they've got a student at home who needs to get online for remote learning. What you do in that case is you give them some sort of a subsidy. Um, and, and a number of programs are being proposed in Congress now to provide essentially, you know, it's sort of like the Lifeline program, but I, I think done in a way that's funded, that provides more of a meaningful discount. It's backed by congressional appropriations, so the funds are there. But that's the kind of thing that you, if you, the local provider works again with the school, identifies the student who isn't subscribing because they've got a connection, but they're just not, they can't afford it, for example. This sort of a subsidy program from Congress helps to give, let's say, $50 a month so that the student can then, the house can then come online, the student can learn, the provider agrees to basically, you know, use that program, leverage that program to make it available at no or low cost to the, to the consumer. That's a winning proposition for everyone. You know, the problem comes, some of these programs just say, let's give, you know, $5 billion to the schools and, you know, let them build their own networks. Well, if you're doing that, you're not solving the problem for the person who actually has a network but just can't afford to use it. And so th those are the sorts of things that I think Congress is kicking around right now that I think if they do it right, if they think about this as let the local providers and the local community work together to figure out what the problem is and let's give them funding that directs, you know, subsidies to where they're needed. Um, and then networks, which is a later step in my su suggestion, to where they're needed. That's the kind of, you know, I think aligned program that can work. But, you know, there are a lot of ideas floating around in the marketplace right now. Uh, the question is whether they look to solve the, the right problem. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And in, in your step forward, the one thing in particular I wanted to get you to speak on about um, uh, you, you indicate that where there's a, no provider who can deliver that level of service uh, to set up some kind of funding program uh, to get a network connection there ASAP. But you uh, you emphasize don't duplicate. Uh, talk about the importance of that, especially as we're seeing uh, different types of providers uh, getting into the broadband business. Yeah. So this goes back to the the point I was just making a little bit about the funding programs. I mean, it's great that people want to put dollars towards this, but put them to the right places. Going back to where we started, which is what's the access problem at a given location. Um, so. You know, there are a number of programs out there, proposals out there where people are saying, let's just open a, you know, a program, give the schools money and, and let them, you know, build or contract to build out networks basically everywhere throughout a community. Well, you know, you don't need to do that. Those communities may have a lot of good connections already in them to a lot of the houses. And so um, that's where, you know, but at the same time, you, you can't just focus on the adoption problem, right? I mean, there are people out there, houses out there, locations that don't have a connection at all. And to say that we, you know, we should only focus on subsidizing the purchase of broadband misses the fact that we've got to figure out how to solve by this fall the availability problem for those houses that are missing it. But the way to solve it this fall is not to build a community-wide network to every location in an area, even if they've already got fiber to the prem. Instead, it's to say, what can we do to post up a network as fast as we can, extend a network? just to 123 Maple Street, because that's the house that's missing broadband. Let's not give mobile hotspots to everybody in a community, even though they've already got fiber at their house. Again, focus on where 
fibers lacking, where another high fix, you know, high speed fixed wireless, whatever it is, focus on where those are lacking connections, and, and then put that funding only towards the unavailability problem for those locations. And that's the don't duplicate principle in step four. I'm not sure we would have been having this conversation a year ago, but are you concerned at all, Mike, that um, all the focus on uh, rural broadband now is going to be flooding so much um, so much money uh, from state and federal governments into uh, solving the issue that that we're going to end up spending money uh, that we could have spent more wisely, uh, that, that we're going to end up uh, duplicating, that we're going to end up looking, you know, back a year from now and saying that mm, we got in a big hurry right there and we've uh, thrown a lot of money at the problem, but maybe not uh, have moved the, the solution along as quickly as we had hoped. Absolutely. And that was sort of the genesis of, of my, my Twitter thread or tweet storm was the, the thought that we're watching money being proposed to be thrown at the issue now without defining the issue right. And so if you don't define the issue granularly or properly, um, you're going to potentially waste money. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, we, we kind of see it even now, right? I mean, you know, so the CARES Act gave funding to school districts to, um, and states to help with whatever they needed. But one of the things I think the number of folks are looking at using it for is rightly so, trying to make sure every student is online this fall. But the solution is not to say, you know, what we're talking about here, which is to figure out what the problem is and solve for it. The solution is let's just buy a bunch of mobile hotspots or whatever it is, throw them out there and get everybody online. The problem is you're casting the net so widely that you end up overpaying for, for these sorts of things and giving those out where they're not actually needed when you could instead use those funds to subsidize the purchase of broadband by those who, who need it and have it, but just can't afford it. So absolutely a concern. I think, you know, with the, some of this money needing to be spent, it's already been distributed by the end of this year. That's, that's, you know, that, that race is going to potentially be imprecise in where it, 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 it you know, has broadband landing. Um, and it's been a problem in the past. I mean, look, I mean, a lot of great broadband programs out there, but there are a lot of broadband programs out there. And they're, they're sometimes one of the biggest challenges is making sure each program sort of stays in its lane, if you will, and, and complements and coordinates with the other ones rather than conflicting with them. So, so that's a constant tension in, in this uh, debate. Mm. It's a very nuanced subject, that's for sure. And it, um, the, the pandemic and uh, the economic shutdown and what it's done to the schools and everything has certainly uh, complicated that beyond anything that I think we could have anticipated when we were ringing in the new year, that's for sure. Well, that's just right. And that's why I sort of look at it and say, you know, if we go back to this sort of, you know, five-step plan that I, I, I outlined, which is basically, you know, define, have the schools figure out where access is missing, work with the local providers to figure out what access lacking really means, you know, let the provider subsidize the service over the existing provider's network if service is already there. Um, if there's no network there, give, you know, money for essentially the construction of a new network. And then even if after that, subsidize, you know, the purchases on those new networks if the customer still can't afford it. So, you know, I, I, the reason I sort of threw that out there was I felt like there were a lot of people racing around. I got money. I got to throw it at this or that. You know, to your point, um, 
you know, it's, it's a new conversation. It's one that I, I think we probably should have been having before, but there wasn't an impetus for it in the same way. But if we sort of take these five steps, I think we can do it really quickly, which is the important thing here, so that, you know, in the next several months, we've got these issues solved rather than finding we didn't solve one of them the way we should have. Right. I think we've never had uh, such a, a constricted window of time to make uh, such tremendous headway as, as we look at the new school year starting. Uh, Mike, you've spent uh, years of your career in uh, uh, rural broadband and, and dealing with those issues from a, a legislative standpoint, business development, and seeing what those uh, uh, providers are doing out there, a wonderful job they're doing in their communities. But as you look at this, uh, what really can only be categorized as a watershed moment as uh, something we've never experienced as a nation and the attention that it is uh, drawing to the rural broadband issue, and then also just the fact that uh, we, it's going to be different. Everything's going to be different uh, from from this point uh, moving forward. Um, stepping back, how do you, how would you characterize this moment in history, and and how do you think this is going to play out in the the months and years ahead? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> Um, you know, there, there are any number of layers to answer, uh, in that, um, thinking about it, I, you know, keeping my broadband hat on here. I mean, I, I think one of the takeaways from this will be that, um, connectivity is critical, that, um, the ability for people to communicate, um, and interact distance, uh, distantly, is essential. Um, you know, if, if nothing else from a broadband perspective, this pandemic really has shined a, a bright spotlight on the fact that if you can't connect, you're out of the game. And, and that's so unfortunate. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to prompt a, a, a hard national look, hopefully in the right way in the long run. But obviously, we've got, again, things racing around right now in, in an emergency about what we want our broadband networks to be when they grow up and what we want um, people to have in terms of connectivity uh, at home, at school, at work. So uh, I think from the broadband perspective, um, there is a real sort of national reckoning on how do we do this right so we're not back here again someday. Uh, obviously, there are many broader <laughs> implications to, to, to this in terms of uh, societal impacts, economic impacts, changes in, in how people transact business and the like. But uh, I do think that this is, has uh, sort of uh, underscored the importance of a foundation of good connectivity uh, across the country and, and for every household and, and, and enterprise. Well, it will be interesting for you and I to come back on this podcast a year from now and uh, sort, of, sort of look back to this day and see what has been done and, and do an analysis and see, see where we're sitting, uh, not only in the uh, rural broadband in general, but particularly in this, uh, uh, the homework gap. I, I like how you put that. So we'll, uh, we'll come back and do an analysis a year from now. How's that sound? That would be terrific. I, I hope what we're talking about at that point is just an adoption problem and that everybody is, uh, everybody is connected. But of course we know that that will, uh, that takes time and, and effort and energy and, and funding. So, um, stay tuned, but yeah, I would love to do that. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking some time today. And uh, again, my guest today is uh, Mike Romano, Senior Vice President, Industry Affairs and Business Development for NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. Um, Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciated the chance to get online. 
Thanks for listening to Rural Broadband Today, where we take a look at the people and the issues that are shaping uh, the rural broadband story across America. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Smith. This podcast is produced by WordSouth, a content marketing company. Be sure to like and share this podcast with your network as we spread the rural broadband story. Thanks for listening. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.